I mean, he's been putting in work for so long. Putting in a lot of work. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Putting in Work, episode 94 of the interview podcast on the 8-Bit Collective, powered by Audio Technica, and I'm John O'Peck, bringing you this interview with Kamina Vincent from Mountains, the Melbourne indie studio. These guys made Florence, which is a game that's getting a whole lot of buzz this year. It's just been nominated for multiple categories at the Game Awards, Best Mobile Game, Best Debut Indie Game. Florence was just named in the top 10 games of the year by Time Magazine. It was nominated for a Golden Joystick Award. It's just won an Apple Design Award, so it's getting a lot of attention, and the reviews earlier this year were fantastic for people who don't know. Florence is an interactive story. It's narrative focused. It's very much reliant on the touchscreen mechanics of basic puzzles and mini games that happen throughout. But it's mostly about the story, the emotions that conveyed through the music. And it really does push the boundaries of what people conceive as a video game and, and what gameplay is. I don't play a lot of mobile games or any really, but I picked up Florence for a few bucks. It's only about 30 minutes long and it really is a memorable experience. It's like the 500 days of summer of video games, at least for me. That was the comparison that I would make. It's a story about a a woman, Florence, I think she lives in Melbourne. It's very Melbourne-like and meets a boy, falls in love, the whole thing. But the way that the story is told in basically an interactive novel format is really interesting. And I think that Most people who played this game left having felt something, which is really the best thing that a story can do. So Kamina is the producer for this studio, which I find really interesting because most game developers, they're usually coming from either a design perspective or they're working in programming, which is very much someone that makes the magic happen behind the scenes, which is perfect for this podcast because it's putting in work. It's what is happening that we don't know about to see the final result. And that is really Kamina's job. It's spreadsheets and finances. And for a narrative-based game, she's working on timelines and making sure that the human body of the development studio knows what you know each hand's doing and that things are progressing to where they're meant to be. So it was great to meet Kamina at PAX. It was the first interview I did for the long weekend and we had a great time. So here's the interview. Enjoy the show. Kamina, thank you so much for joining me at the Audio Technica booth. It's the first day of PAX and we're both really excited to be here, I think. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> thank you for having me. This That's is like right. really super exciting. It's the first thing of the day. Yeah, and uh, is PAX a big weekend for you? Like, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of networking and developer stuff happening but, that we plebs don't know about. <laughs> uh, there is, but I'm actually taking it fairly quiet this year. I think this is the first PAX that I haven't been working working. Even if I haven't been exhibiting, I've been like showing publisher around sure. and things like that. Um, but yeah, I've been exhibiting, like helping exhibit since the first pack. So for me, PAX has a really special place mm. in my heart. And I love getting to meet everyone, not just like other game developers, but like people who play our games and get excited yeah. about things like that. And it's just like nice to have that chance to connect face on face. Sure. And you're a Melbourne girl, aren't you? Yes. So it must be a cool chance to show people around your city and... That kind of thing? I actually moved from Canberra a couple of years ago, and then I moved to Canberra from, like, northern New South Wales, and I originally grew up in the Blue Mountains, so I've kind of, like, hopped around, but I love Melbourne. It's so good. The food is so amazing. I put on, like, 12 kilos when I moved here in, like, six (laughs) months because I just kept eating brunch and drinking lots of craft beer. Fantastic. So let's talk about Florence, obviously, and mountains, because you are the uh, producer, I believe is the Mm -hmm. title. Tell me what what that involves with this particular studio. All right, so producer at Mountains, for me is also combined with like operations and day-to-day running of the company. Ken hired me right at the beginning. He's like, I want a producer. I want someone to take care of the business so I can focus on creative direction and the art, which is what he does best. 
Yeah, it's been like a really, really great working partnership, like learning how to work with Ken, how to work with that team, bringing everyone together in the first couple of years. We were not only just making Florence our first game, but we were also learning to work together as a team, learning to build a company. And I've discovered I get really excited about reading contracts and taxes. <laughs> so clearly Ken chose the right person for the job. But getting to producer at Florence was a really interesting journey. So I volunteered at my first PAX was PAX East. I happened to be in the States mm. uh, to volunteer for a game developer conference. And I'm like, well, it's my first time in America. I may as well do some travel. I was in New York and realized PAX East was in Boston. I'm like, well, like, is there anyone I can help out? Tin Man Games, Neil Renison from Tin Man was like really lovely. And he's like, yeah, come to the booth. And I spent like two days doing that. And it was amazing. I loved it. And then so when PAX Oz came, I think yeah, that was the first year I volunteered. I was like, Tin Man, hey, do you need me again? This yeah. is like really fun. And I love meeting people. I love talking to people. So it kind of like worked out really well. And then from that, they're like, well, we've got some like contract QA that we could like give to you. Do you want to do that? And I'm like, hells yes. I, it's not that I love breaking things. It's just I'm very good at breaking technology. So yeah. I think I've just developed a love for it because it's a huge part of who I am. And so I started there at QA. And then eventually, there were, thanks to a grant, they were able to um, hire me full time. Uh, because I don't have any art or programming skills, I was kind of like really wondering what role they could be for me within games. And so it was like QA, and then I did start doing editing, and then I was like logic editing, and then I was like working in Unity to like swap over art assets and things like that. And then I like helped manage their Kickstarter campaign, and then I was like doing community stuff because one packs, so I was like, hey, who's looking after the Steam forums? And everyone looked at me and went, congratulations. Anyway, I'm yeah. sorry if I'm talking too fast. No, that's fine. <laughs> and so from that, yeah, I became producer and kind of like started managing my own game books throughout yeah. the series. So that's cool. I mean, yeah. I mean, it sounds like you didn't grow up wanting a career in games from the like things that you're talking about like you didn't you didn't get into programming or like the artistic stuff that most people pursue when they think I want to work in games because I guess most people don't know that there's a job like producer they don't know that that exists when they're sitting there playing yeah. you know Spyro the Dragon or whatever it is uh, I have a bit of a confession to make to be even honest I didn't even really think about how games were made they just kind of like were there yeah. and I was like so when someone like suggests I study game dev I was like Oh, that makes so much sense. Of course, it'd like take lots of people to do this. But yeah, like I ended up not being able to continue my course. But when I was growing up, I wasn't allowed to watch commercial TV, so I didn't know anything about Simpsons, Friends, things like that. Right. But like everyone would talk about it at school. I wasn't allowed to play games that often unless they were educational or came with a computer. And yeah, like I remember I was talking to someone when I was 18. They they were a games reviewer at the time, and I just had no interest whatsoever. Like I'd play games with the guys when I was growing up, and then I was like, nah. But I think there was a little bit of internalized misogyny there of like, you know, games of the boys and something like sure. that. And I'd been told not to continue with computer studies when I was in high school because apparently you're not supposed to do that many courses, but eh, whatever. Um, and I was the only woman in that class. So yeah, for me, games weren't really a huge part of growing up. And then I ended up working in a retail game store and like they didn't care that I didn't know anything about games. They just wanted to be able to sell games. Yeah. And I was like, all right, cool. I can do this. I kind of vaguely have an interest and so I started playing games and then yeah it's like from that developed a love of playing and then my friend suggested I move to study games in Melbourne and that's when I really like got into the game development community and realized that it's not just art and programming you yeah there are so, so many roles that go into supporting game development it's awesome because it, if you're good at what you do there's usually a way for you to find a way into games there's not a lot of opportunities but I mm. guess if you work hard and, and uh, 
persistent you can find your way in, which is cool to see. Yeah. yeah, it took me about two years, but also I started getting into the game development scene when the global financial crisis happened. And we lost like over half our developers to overseas wow. or other industries. And I'm just like watching all these like big studios close. And I'm like, I'm never going to get a job. Yeah. This is going to be fine. I'll just go back to retail and stay in my call center job. So you just make your own job by starting an indie studio, right? Yes, that is a lot of work. Um, I think some people are like, oh, you just get an APN and it's fine. It's like, no, no, <laughs> that's not just it. Like I know really weird tax stuff. I'm, I'll try not to get too excited. Like if I run into you later, I'll like, have a huge thing about taxation and how exciting it can be. Sure. <laughs> no, it could be really cool. I swear. Um, I guess for, for a game like Florence, as the first games come out of the studio, was this something that, because it's such a small team, everyone had quite a bit to do with it coming together? Like, it's very narrative-driven, so hmm. what was your effect on, on that part of it? I ate a lot of chocolate because I'd, like, create these beautiful charts of, like, our timeline and then something would change and I would have to like burn it all down or kind of like, no, we're changing this direction. Um, Florence was a really good learning opportunity for me as a producer, I think, because there was no way I could track it in a very traditional method. Um, the way Ken works is he like really cuts down to this like core of an idea and anything that we add has to support that core idea. So we'd do a lot of play testing and then he'd be like, well, this level isn't working anymore and we'd just cut it and then be like, well, we need another level Replace that might it, do yeah. this. And it's just like, how would I know three months ago that we needed a different level and this place? Uh, but we, like Ken's really good at getting people involved in discussion as well. So a lot of our design meetings was everyone together talking about it, like the cat, that's me. Yeah. I got that in because there's nothing more depressing than having a cat during a breakup. So you're like, oh, it's coming towards me. I'm crying, it's great. It's gonna snuggle, oh no, you just, no, you're on the floor. You don't care about me. Yeah. Um, so there's uh, like the skateboarding thing as well. That's like from me and like my friends and things like that. So there's a lot of us in there. But during development, like I'm trying to make everyone's jobs as smooth as possible. So if like Ken's waiting on for a piece of tech that the programmers are making, then I need to make sure that Ken's working on something and not getting blocked by that. So that's it ready in time for Ken to start using it. Mm. And if they need art, then like, just making sure everything kind of like yeah. flows nicely and no one's just sitting there going, what, what? I can't do anything. I've yeah, roadblocks. Yeah. yeah. You're there to just constantly like change the train tracks around, mm -hmm. basically. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it does feel like a bit like that. Like I'm on the front of the train just like throwing things around yeah. and like there's a waterfall over there and I'm going to try and avoid that. Yeah. But yeah. That's cool. And, and it's such a personal game and a, a really emotional experience. So there, there must be so much of each of you guys in there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is that it was what was it like to actually put that out there and, and have people experiencing parts of your lives in some um, ways? It was really so we showed our first public demo PAX Australia last year, and it's really nerve wracking because like we've done play tests in the office, but it was like one or two people, and it was like really kind of intimate, and we knew these people like maybe not like the closest of our friends, but like acquaintances and things so there's kind of like a level of like they're going to give us feedback but maybe they're not being entirely truthful but on a show floor people will just say whatever they're thinking yeah and i was just like okay like this is boring yeah it's like it's a 10 minute demo um that we showed there's barely any language it's really different and it's packed it's like full of noise it's full yeah. of sounds everyone's like super wide and high it's hard to have an emotional experience at a place where there's 
just like so much peripheral action yeah. happening around you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the booth that Annapurna Interactive set up for us, like we had these bean bags and these headphones, and it was just kind of like this quiet experience, and people cried, and I didn't quite wow. know how to. It was like this thing that I created, and I'd like seen it being made. So for me, it's like maybe I'm like a little too close to the forest for the trees. And like seeing it touch people, like there was this guy who like, after he played, he was like, he's got my nose. I've never seen that before. And that's like, that meant a lot. Mm. And yeah, cause like Ken's Chinese uh, Australian, I'm Japanese Australian. So like the Asian thing is like a strong theme in our company. But for other people to be able to identify with that narrative as well, yeah. it was like really touching. And it was a 10 minute demo and they got it. They understood and they felt it. Mm. And that was, yeah, really kind of like, Lovely. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's, it's a, and it is a special game, I think, because it's so relatable. Like almost anyone would mm. be able to relate to part of this story that's happening in this game, and it's happening without any text. It's happening. Oh, it's not, sorry, it's happening yeah. without like voiceover. Yeah. So it, it's almost easier to put yourself in there and feel that as the, like the avatar or whatever. So yeah. I think that that probably helped it resonate with with a lot of people too. Yeah, it's like a lot of this, like the speech bubbles, they're blank because like. It can be anything yeah. and it can be you everything. It, you can fill yeah. it in so easily. And also, like, it means that, like, ultimately, mild spoilers, when you have a fight about something, sometimes it just doesn't matter what you were talking about or yeah. what you were saying. Like, in the big picture, That's it's right. Nothing. It's like the way that you talk about it rather than what the fight started out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's just things like that. It's like we wanted people, like, we wanted to create Florence and Chris's characters in themselves. And so, like, when we're trying to choose music that Florence would be listening to on her iPhone or iPad, no, I, on her phone, yeah. I am doing very well right <laughs> now. Um, like, it wasn't what do we think. It was, like, what would she listen to sure. and things like that. But, yeah, like, being able to relate with a very similar experience to something you've had yourself. Because, like, we've all had a meaningless fight somewhere. I mean, we might not have all got a cat. I, yeah. uh, <laughs> oh, I really spoiled it earlier. Whoops. That's Sorry, okay. everyone. <laughs> um, You'll figure it out by the end of the interview. <laughs> yeah, it's a short game, and we deliberately made it a short game yeah. because we wanted that sit-down-and-play experience. And was the mobile device, what was the thinking behind having it there, which is just where you thought it would fit in best with the type of uh, like gameplay that was involved? Ken was really interested in exploring the intimacy of phones because like, we carry them with us. We're touching them constantly. Like they hold our lives pretty much. They're the way we connect with people. And like that intimacy of touch as well, paired with the device was something like we really wanted to explore and look at. And originally we were making a game about like 3D puzzles of like right. models of like people kissing and things like that. And like looking at 3D sculpture because like we wanted to explore that space and what it means within a phone. Um, but yeah, like Florence went through several iterations and became what it became. That's cool. And the music in the game is so emotive as well. Was that a large focus in the beginning that we had to find the right composer to do this? Or how, like, how did that come together? Um, yeah, so we worked with the Other World Agency and Kevin Penkin works with them. And we were so lucky to have him. He's originally from Perth. He moved over to the UK um, and does a lot of anime stuff as well. And he is incredibly talented. So he and Ken were like, he came in quite late towards development because we didn't know what the final game was going to look like. Yeah. And he worked with Ken, but because he's in the UK, it's like almost a 12-hour time difference, so it was like really hard to tee up. And 
he yeah came to PAX Australia last year and spent a couple of weeks with us, working with us and talking to Ken. And from that, they were up to build a really good rapport and communication style. So it got to this point where Kevin would send through something. Ken's like, this is so close. And just ask for a couple of changes and Kevin would be like, oh, how about this? And Ken's like, perfect. And yeah. it was like, they just had it down pat because they had like this very, they're both very passionate people who care about their craft and they just want to do the best thing that they can. And it was really good to see them working together like that. That's awesome. Was there a moment in development that you realized that your game was going to be something special that would resonate with so many people? Or like, was there a moment where maybe it was when the music was added or when everything just kind of came together and you went, oh, wow, like, this is a video game? Uh, PAX Australia was really like when I saw everyone's reaction because I'm like, oh, they're going to hate it. They're, going, they're not going to get it. It's, it's like a thing where like, something's going to go wrong. And seeing people really get into it was like a big moment. I'm like, okay, maybe we do have something. I hadn't played the build for a while towards the end of development and I sat down, put that on the headphones, started playing it and I almost started crying and I was just like, okay, we're going to be fine. And yeah, it's really funny because like right at the start of development, I'm like, guys, you need to, we were a team of all guys at that point. Yeah. So yeah, not using that in a gender neutral way, they were all guys. Uh, not anymore, so yay. <laughs> um, yeah, I was like, all right, so I like we're making a game that's going to make me cry. That's the goal. That's you the goal. have to make me cry. And then on my birthday, they delivered a build that made me cry. Happy so, birthday. I know. It was really lovely. Here's <laughs> some tears. <laughs> yeah. And some heartache. Yeah. Um, and I think that's when I was like, that's... Yeah. I, I'm excited to see this out in the world. Do you think that's going to be your specialty as a studio, making people cry? Um, maybe not crying from sadness necessarily, but we really want to like build and make these games that evoke emotions that aren't necessarily the ones we get at the moment. We want to explore what games can be and what they can evoke. And our tagline on our like website is games that linger in hearts and minds. So it's nice. Yeah. So what was it like when the game was released finally and you started to see the reviews and feedback and that kind of thing? Because I'm not a mobile gamer at all, yeah. but I saw hype for this game enough that made me remember its name. And then yeah. when someone mentioned you and you know maybe doing a podcast or panel together, I was like, yeah, I remember Florence and I played it and I loved it. And I don't play these games. So yeah. what was it like for people to react? I was deliberately going to try and go to bed before it launched so I could like miss that, at least get a good night's sleep. It was very surreal for me because I have been working in games for several years, but this was the biggest thing. And of course it comes like attached with Ken Wong was the lead designer of Monument Valley, so people are excited to see what it is. I don't know what I was expecting and it was just like an overwhelming response. And we've had people emailing us like, guys as well telling us that we made them cry on public transport like yeah. we've had people write to us saying that that's their relationship like they, they see themselves exactly in those characters we've had people tell us that they broke up because they played the game and then had a very long conversation and they realized that it wasn't working for them so they wanted to part ways wow. it's like <laughs> i don't I don't know how to deal with this. Like, this is really beautiful and sweet, and I love making connections with people. So for me, it's really kind of nice to know that we can communicate with people through these touch screens. And 
Yeah, it's, Talk to their it's pretty amazing. And I guess, like, critically, was it the reception that you were hoping for? It was a lot better than I was hoping for. Like, we got an Apple Design Award. Like, that that's incredible. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you. You won an award, like, a few days ago. Yeah, we won the Australian Game Developers Award. Um, they don't have categories, so we yeah. one of many. There was so many good games there. Um, yeah, so we recently won that. Um, we've been in museums. Like, there are exhibitions with Florence in it, and that yeah. blows my mind because my parents were, like, super huge on museums, and now I can, like, point my mum to it going, look, this is this is what I do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it kind of, like, legitimizes it for her. That and is interesting because you said that you grew up without video games. So I guess, yeah. like, I hope that they can see their value now. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, it's just been such an incredible response, and it's very surreal for me. I, I'm don't know how to describe it any more than that. Does the uh, does the response influence the next step for you guys? Do you go, okay, th- you know, that game did so well, we need to take things to the next level, or do you kind of put that aside and just think, let's try and make another good game? So we were discussing what project we wanted to work on next and talk of, like, Florence that did well, so well. People really, like, they ask us for more, like, but we feel like that's kind of, done for the moment and we'd like to try something new we'd like to try something different so we've been prototyping a few things but nothing that we can really talk about yeah, yet sorry fair enough that's <laughs> fine so <laughs> maybe what, next facts yeah maybe next facts what would you say has been the hardest point for you personally getting to the point where you're at in terms of your like ability as a producer and your ability to help steer this studio into a successful project um, alright so I've actually started writing a blog post about this and it's kind of like almost at the point where I'm ready of like my first couple of years of Mountains Tin Man Games had a very set process I came into Mountains trying to recreate that set process and it's like okay if I've got the perfect like Gantt chart we'll be fine and I needed to let go of my ego and needing to be right and actually just be like I don't know anything I don't know how this works and the team has like really helped me out and like supported me because like what I thought was going to work this like kind of more traditional we know what the end goal is wasn't isn't how can works so I had to let go of a lot of imposter syndrome and like this fear of not knowing what I was doing Mm. and showing people that I didn't actually have the answer and I still don't know what I'm doing but I'm getting better hopefully I'm like learning lots and that's like and I've got a great team who supports me, so yeah, for me it was like, get over that imposter syndrome fear, let people know that you don't know what you're doing, yeah. and yeah, kill your darlings. There's yeah. so many pretty like timelines and oh, gadgets, no. they're just, just gone, they're all dead now. Re- replaced with a, a nicer timeline, a yes. prettier timeline, I hope. A much <laughs> more sensible for our office timeline. Yeah, sure. So. Well, that's nice. Yeah. So what would be your advice to people who want to, you know, maybe they aren't an artist or a programmer, but they want to get into game development like you have? Keep learning everything. There are so many things that I've learned randomly that have helped me with team management, team building, companies, design. Like, the more you know, the more information you can pull from in a particular situation. And don't be scared to ask people to get them to help you learn. That's good, because I guess it's like going back to what you were saying before mm. about imposter syndrome is knowing what your limits are or what, yeah. you're, what you're good at and what you're not good at and being uh, willing to work hard to get through that. And yeah. even if that's admitting to someone straight up, like, I can't do this, but I'm going to mm. try and figure it out. Yeah. 
And it means that they can help you out with a bit of a clearer idea. Like, why struggle and drown for like two days trying to do a task when someone can like give you some guidance and help you and you can get it done faster. So yeah, like now it's like, I'll do a thing and it's like within about 10 minutes of creating, it's like, Ken, do you mind checking over this? And like just getting feedback. Hell, I have like a week. This is like super possibly terrible producer thing myself, but I have like a post weekly postmortem. So on Friday, I'm like, all right, what decisions did I make that went well? What did I do that I could do better next time? And like, what are the actions I'm going to take into the future? And it's been pretty interesting. It sounds like a good practice. Yeah, as long as you don't get too navel-gazy yeah. and just like a little bit of introspection, but not too much. Sure. Yeah. Okay, and the last question for you, Kamina. Yes. If you could do anything and know that you wouldn't fail, what would you do? Fly. Fly? Yeah. Like Superman? Uh, no, or I think like more like wingsuiting. Okay. Yeah. Oh, those videos are so amazing where they were just yeah. like dipping around mountains and things like that. Yeah. yeah, I'm terrified of heights, but like I really like adrenaline. So okay. I think like being able to do that would be awesome. That's cool. It, I'm going to come up with like five different answers over the course of the week and it's just going to like bug me. So I'm just going to message you every time okay, I do. Okay, you do that. <laughs> I'll, add, I'll add an addendum yeah. to, the, to the podcast. <laughs> for the next three years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, thanks for coming and no, for chatting to you. me. You're my first interviewer pack. Yay! So I'm so excited. Yeah. Are you excited? Yeah, I am. It's going to be, be a great weekend. More excited with coffee? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Coffee after this. Yeah. Thank you for listening and thanks to Audio Technica. You can check out Kamina on Twitter at Spamoir. That's S-P-A-M-O-I-R. Please be kind and leave an iTunes review with one of those five-star ratings. It goes a long way to helping out the show. You can pick up some sweet putting in work merchandise or leave a review over at 8bit.net slash P-I-W. That's A-T-E-B-I-T. And that's also where you can find the rest of the awesome podcast content from the 8-Bit Collective. You can catch me on social media at Jono himself. And until next week, keep putting in work.